Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. Long division sure comes in handy. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. Just say no to family values. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Wax Poetic here on Co-op Radio. I'm filling in for R.C. Weslowski. <laughs> it's the fair edition and I am Pamela Bentley. And uh, we're happy to have as our guest this afternoon, Hanif willis Abdurakib from, uh, well, I guess Connecticut, but also Columbus um, in the United States. And you're here for the Verses Festival of Words. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So nice to have you here. So we'll have you kick things off with a poem, please. Sure. This poem is called, There Are the Prince Songs You Do Not Play Before Sunset. And by that, I mean I understand there are supposed to be no rules. The full moon tongue pulling the spine into an arched finger. The mother calling you in from the storm. Not everyone is a body of water. Not everyone is made from that which will never drown. The sky turns red with the promise of darkness to follow, and a boy stands in a field of graves. With enough ghosts drinking from your shadow, the night will never arrive. And isn't that convenient? Isn't that the cracked door and the light it parades through? This works better if you imagine loneliness as something that can be uprooted and worn around the shoulders. If you say the word desire, and watch the wind sing back the names of the dead. If you beckon the sun close, and walk dry out of the rain. That was lovely. Thank you. Um, That was something you read at Jangle and Shout on Sunday. I did. And uh, there you mentioned that it uh, was an older poem. Um, So you've been influenced by Prince for a while. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not ancient. It's like, it's like, a year old. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I love Prince. So it was very much like a. I feel like Prince has influenced a lot of my work beyond that. So you mentioned oh, you mentioned Jangle and Shout, which is a versus uh, festival uh, event, and you're here for that. And then last night at a versus festival event, um, all lit up at Stormcrow, Wade Compton read, and he started. He he said he went through his stuff looking for some reference to Prince because he feels like a part of his brain has yeah. gone. And he said that it was so important. Prince was so important to him because he offered. Um, kind of an antidote to the the idea of masculinity in the black um, cultures that he grew up in, that Wade grew up in. Of course, yeah. yeah. So, it, what is? Can you articulate? You know, maybe what Prince was to you? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think similarly, right? I think um, Prince's ability to challenge um, not only what it meant to be 
masculine, but also what it meant to be black and what it meant to be those two things. And uh, I grew up in the States in the Midwest, as, as Prince did. And I think um, challenging the idea of what it was to grow up black and in the Midwest was also important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think oftentimes we see people describe Prince as weird or talk about Prince as weird. And I think that's really unimaginative and really uh, limiting and not at all accurate. Right. I think for me, he was um, someone who was was expressing himself in a way that was very normal to um, my somewhat like uncomfortable blackness in the Midwest spectrum. Uh, so I, I think um, Prince represented a kind of normalcy that uh, for me was not, you know, I, I never found Prince to be weird. I, mm. I found him to be a lot of things, but never weird. Um, and so I think when, when I see Prince described as weird, I'm always, uh, I always want to say, well, that's not, that's maybe the point if you, um, you know, we're not black in, in the Midwest and, and looking for a way out or, or, or a way in in some ways. But for, for me, it wasn't weird at all. Hmm. Um, and you uh, write for MTV and you had to come up with something really quickly. I did. Uh, around that for for the for that company. Um, what was the challenge like that? Well, it's hard. Um, there are a lot of things. One, I have I have the best editors in the world, so shout out to my, my editors at MTV. Um, but it, it's hard when uh, someone dies and you, you were moved by them or they impacted your life or your writing or your art in some way. Um, in, in some ways, it's hard to uh, limit your feelings. You know, I could have written mm-hmm. thousands and thousands and thousands of words, um, and none, a lot of them would not have made sense, right, because it's a very personal thing, right? I think... Um, so many of us didn't know Prince, but have personal connections to Prince. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when approaching that kind of, um, eulogy or that kind of grief in, in translating it to words, it's hard to kind of limit yourself. Um, and it's hard to kind of write through that and know a lot of people will see it very quickly. Right. right. So, I mean, I filed a piece that was less than two hours after the news hit. Um, I wrote about his, uh, halftime performance because I thought that if I could, uh, narrow what I was writing about, it would help. And, and, and I didn't want to just go straight to like Prince died and I'm sad because yeah, that would have yeah. been a long, a long, long thing. So I wrote about his halftime performance, Super Bowl halftime performance in, in, uh, 2007. Um, and I think it came out okay. I was happy with it. Yeah, no, I like what I saw. I liked it very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that was one of the things I got stopped on the street, um, that day and, and asked about it. Um, and that was like one of the things that stood out to me was that Super Bowl performance because I thought because I think it was also after the whole um, Janet Jackson was. nipple thing thing. Yep. And uh, he came out with his guitar, you know, in the shadow and this huge basically phallus and yeah. playing it, yeah. kind of like going screw you to all that sort of pro- supposed propriety and all right. that kind of thing. I, I, I remember that very strongly. And I think. Um... For me, at least, Super Bowl performances have, or halftime performances haven't been the same since that. I mean, and some haven't been, they haven't all been bad. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, you know, Prince's Super Bowl halftime performance will go down, I think, in history as maybe one of the best. It was just really risky. He took a lot of risks. He covered a wide range of songs in a short amount of time. Um, and he just, he played well. You know, he sounded good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think... Um, he was less interested even i mean prince by nature is spectacle right so i think that anytime prince steps on a stage stepped on a stage there was spectacle involved um but i think that 
um, when he got down to the work, when he got down to playing, it was less about spectacle and more about an exchange um, with the audience. And I think all great performers and artists understand that that part of the work is is an exchange and not not something to be taken for granted. And I think Prince really always understood that, but really nailed it that night. And you bring you bring that to your own performance as well as um, spoken word and yeah, I I think maybe. I try to. I don't know. I, I try to have a, a fair and even exchange with the audience. I, I think it's, um, you know, as someone who has gone through a lot of different iterations of, of artists and, and someone who's like now at a point where, you know, I don't have a ton of poems memorized and, you know, I, I tend to read off of paper. and um, I hear that. Yeah. I mean, and I, <laughs> but I think that people think that that is limiting, but I think that in some ways that's, uh, you know, that is a way to connect with the audience that is uh that is the most pure right this is how we write poems we write poems on paper and, and it's showing that is important i also i mean i'm from columbus ohio and, and one of my mentors is scott woods who reads everything off paper right even in, in a scene that is um somewhat slam focused um scott is 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 reading everything off paper and, and i think that he connects in a way that is admirable and i always uh, i always try to reach for that I find that when I read off paper, I can do that more because I'm yeah. not worried about misplacing a word. And I've already crafted it in such a way that I want the words yep. to be where they are. And um, so it allows me to inhabit the poem and connect with the audience because there's not a part of my brain going, oh, no, oh, no, what's the next? What's the next? Right. But then I know RC's thing is like, well, if you forget that word, then it wasn't meant to be done in that time. And you've got this well, other craft going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's both things there. Yeah. Uh, let's hear another poem from you. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Uh, let's see what I have. Um, so I have a, uh, a series of poems that I'm working on. Um, actually I'm going to read, I'm going to read this. This is a poem from a, a new manuscript that I'm working on. Uh, it's called the front porch. Um, everything is broken up into times and places. So this poem is called 1145 PM, the front porch. Hmm. The lie they tell about the blues is that they died with the last of our great-grandmothers. The blues got a gun now. The blues kissed the end of a lit pipe. It isn't just about what you can coax out of, a, out of a guitar's neck anymore. There are new ways to die slow in America. The good singers don't come to church these days. In between two abandoned buildings, they press their backs to the ground and sing of dead kings. There's always a prayer that comes before the bullets. Open a chest to the night air. No one remembers it when the time arrives. That doesn't stop the bullets from coming anyway. Death doesn't need an invitation, but a song helps. Ready to die but still living. For ten years or one hundred. Having enough of the world after your first drink of it. The lie they tell about the blues is that it's only music. A way to survive the streets. The slaves sung themselves free. Ain't we got that in our blood? There is no such thing as a home that the stars can't deliver you to, unchained and with all this music. The truth they tell about the blues is that the last black woman who sang like her babies left the house one summer and never came home again died poor, had everything scraped from her throat before she was buried. They gave what was left to a white man in a tall building with views of the Hudson, and then everyone on the chart sounded like they were singing for their lives. And then there was nothing left to harvest. And then scraps fell from the sky. And then all we had left was violence. 
the smoke blown from a black boy's lips, the rhymes that followed. That was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, I see on the page, it's like a prose poem. It's like, it was written like a paragraph. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to, um, so a lot of my poems, I don't know what I'm doing with line breaks. Um, so a lot of times I, I kind of just like write oh. prose blocks with, um, short and complete sentences. And then do you add line breaks after you've said it out loud a couple of times or do you, or you Sometimes. just leave them in that? Sometimes I leave them like this one is this is final, so this is like mm-hmm. left like this. But a lot of times, um, I, I break them up afterwards. I, I write my process is I tend to write um, really large prose blocks uh, and then read the poem out loud and, mm-hmm. and kind of like let the work tell me what it needs to look like on the page. Cool. I'm a firm believer in the idea that like the work tells you what it needs mm-hmm. uh, as you like mm-hmm. as you read it more. Um, but also sometimes I yeah I just write short incomplete sentences and leave them at that. <laughs> What you know? You said that that was a piece in a work that you're working on. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? Because that, I mean, it, clearly that, as you said, is finished. That is finished. I mean, it's so beautiful. Thank you. It's so craft. I mean, every word is. Thank you. Exact. Um, yeah. So I I am working on a second manuscript of poems. My first one comes out um, in two months, and I'm kind of already immersed in this idea of a second book of poems. Um, I have a poem called uh, Ode to Biggie Smalls Ending in Gold that I had to pull from my first manuscript because it didn't fit. Um, and then I wanted to like still use it. You know, I didn't want to just discard it. Um, so I started working on the second manuscript of poems that are, it's a chronological timeline of um, Ohio on the night Biggie died back in 1997. Um, so it's working, um, it's working in about maybe a two hour radius um, from like, well, maybe more than that. From about eleven p.m. to like three p. three a.m. Eastern time, um, and it's kind of like small looks in at all these different things in my neighborhood that were happening when Biggie was killed. Um, and it's like somewhat biblical. There's like a lot of flooding, and um, there's a lot of like arc building, and there's a lot of like you know lightning and and things like that. So we'll see. I, you know, I had the idea. Uh, and I thought it would be good to, to dive into it. And mostly I just wanted to keep writing after I'd finished manuscript number one and not fall into this trap of like not knowing what to do with myself. Right. So, yeah. Um, there's so much going on in that piece you read. Yes. And there's and there's some great striking images. And the thing that, well, the first one that stuck out to me was the, the musicians in between the churches in the alley with their backs to the mm-hmm. ground. Yeah. But then the end one with the, the woman who's uh, lost her child and her voice has been basically taken by the suit in the music industry. Right, right. Um, think, can you, I don't know what the question is, but can you, I don't know, elaborate on that? Sure. Along that appropriation and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think, um, I, I always think about how um, rock music really, in a lot of ways, began with black women, right? At least in, in, the, as in the, 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 the culture of it, in the, um, and yet it is always like so surprising to people when, when in the modern era, right. When, when black women play rock music, right. It's always so like shocking or people say things like, well, this is fresh and unique, but it's like, no, I mean, this is like lineage, right. Lineage of people who birthed this, this genre of music. Um, and so I, I think, um, about the charts, right. And I think about how, how rarely, um, black women who who black women who aren't packaged um within the pop spectrum are on the charts um 
or at least how easy it is for for non-black women to dominate the charts in in a way that is um not necessarily inventive right or or at least somewhat lazy um which you know pop music is lazy sometimes but uh which doesn't mean i don't love it i, I really love pop music but um and, and so in, in writing a lot of this this second manuscript i'm thinking about um i'm thinking about history and i'm thinking about like what um who has a claim to history and 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 how they lost that claim you know mm-hmm. like what i'm thinking about lineage and about um connections between eras of, of music and where that thread gets lost at least in in black american culture where that thread gets lost and in, in where certain things were taken and repackaged and who got left behind in the repackaging of those things mm-hmm. well sometimes those lineages are cut yeah on purpose definitely by the people who are making it as a business and generally it's been um you know white people and running the record industry and stuff like that well we're gonna here's elvis yeah yeah here's boom and we'll forget about where right you know the inspiration came from or where the music got stolen from and all that sort of stuff yeah people people act like elvis like was the first person to sing hound dog you know what i mean it's that whole yeah and, and i think um and now the music industry is, is different in shape but it's still the people in power are still the same people who have been in power for you know years and years and years and years so um yeah i think a lot of this manuscript is 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 more music based um in i mean all of my work is music based really but i think um not a lot of it is is based on history in the, in the way that i want this one to be so you're listening to hanif willis abdurakif on wax poetic on vancouver co-op radio 100.5 fm cfro and uh, I think we should hear another poem. And, yes. and I also want to know what the name of the book coming out is. Oh, sure. Cool. Um, so the name of the book coming out is uh, The Crown Ain't Worth Much. Uh, is coming out on Button Poetry in July. Um, the cover art was just released yesterday. And that is great. Um, and I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah. So another poem. Uh Okay, so, um, so I, I I don't know if this is a thing here. Maybe this is not a thing here. Do are do people like throw shoes on telephone lines? Okay, I figured mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, so I think the really interesting thing about that is like depending on where you are in the country in the world, um, the reasons for that happening are are like vastly different. Well, and see, and when I said yes, I hardly ever leave East Van. So they do it here. I don't know if they do it everywhere in Vancouver. Everywhere, Vancouver. <laughs> so yeah. I had to just be honest about that answer. <laughs> but I lived in New Mexico. They do it in New Mexico. They definitely do it in New Mexico. I was in yeah. Albuquerque once I saw yeah. it. <laughs> um, so where I'm from, um, I'm from the east side of Columbus, Ohio, in the States. And uh, whenever that happens, whenever you see that, it's because someone, it, they are the shoes representing someone who went to prison. Uh, and has not come out yet Uh, so here's a poem about it Uh, but I I also like that depending on the neighborhood you go to people will ask you know you'll ask someone and you'll get 50 different answers yeah they always used to tell me in New Mexico when I asked because I was new there yeah that it was uh, it was to show you where people were selling drugs selling drugs yeah that's another yeah that's one of the ones from here RC says too so um but so there's, is, there's no way that that's what all the shoes that I'm seeing are. No. And I, we don't need them to tell us that. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a very odd thing. Uh, so here's the poem about that. It's called Urban Legends in the Era of Reagan. And depending on which side of town you're on, the OGs will give you a different answer for why the sneakers hang from the telephone poles like grim Christmas ornaments. 
And where my family comes from, anything hanging is a sign of what is coming or what has left. And in the 80s, everyone was leaving to go somewhere. And in my hood, I hear it was mostly prison. And their shoes would hang from the phone lines all down Livingston till they got out. And the things we inherit are so complicated. And I mean, I was born in the era of older brothers who emerged shoeless from the wreckage. And I, was, and I mean, I watched them pick the glass from their feet. And some still ain't made it back. And the white Jordans with the black tongue are still hanging. And they are still brighter than the moon. And I mean, the moon hasn't been around the hood since before I was born. And no one talks about who the white Jordans belong to. And no one talks about the blood that drips from their laces every Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And I got a pair just like them. And they sit in the corner of my closet. And I tell people I don't wear them because I don't want them to get dirty. And some nights in the dark, I can hear them howling. Hmm. Wow. That's great. Um, I'm asking all the questions. But... Well, that's okay. I knew you had a question, so I was going to wait for mine. Um, when I hear your poems... They feel like a stream of consciousness and that the connections are, mm, yeah. are going, sometimes they're unexpected, like the next line. Right. And, uh, but I'm, I'm guessing that they're not because you, you seem to craft your poems really thoughtfully. Um, so what is that process for you, the writing process? I think I, I write um, a lot like I speak. I think uh, people who know me know that I I tend to ramble a lot and, and go off in a lot of different directions. And so um, I, I do carefully craft my poems, and I don't want to say that I, I don't. I spend a lot of time um, thinking through them before I write them. Right? I, usually most of my drafts are final drafts after one write because I have so intensely poured over the poem in my head. But that is because I have a million conversations happening at once. And I, when I think about a poem, I think about a million things at once. And, and a lot of it is internal carving, you know, like internal mm-hmm. uh, and mental, like chipping away until chipping away at that large block of ice until there's a sculpture. Um, and then I write it out, you know, I kind of just um, write it out and then have to look at it for a while. And a lot of times I'm fortunate to have like, readers who are able to tell me like this doesn't make sense because a lot of times things will not make sense to anyone but me i think when you spend a lot of time in your own head crafting work and then the work is like outside of you um it's hard to really be fair about um if it's actually working or if it's just like something that you love and and you only love um so i mean my process is is i would say like 65 to 75 percent internal um and that makes it um it makes it fun for me because um i'm not only always thinking about how to best represent what's going on in my head but i'm always thinking about new and different language and in mm-hmm. ways to make the work accessible but also use language that is risky or or you know moving things forward in a way that's really not um basic so you're not, you know, I, I there are poems that I read and they don't make any sense to me. Right. And those poets don't seem to care whether it does or not. And sometimes that's experimental poetry. Sometimes it's sound poetry and we experience it in a different way. Sometimes we don't understand anything, but we can still feel it in an emotional way and understand it that way. But it sounds like if you're showing other people and you're, they're saying, okay, this doesn't make sense, it doesn't translate or whatever, right. but you care about that, you also still care about people getting enough of the meaning for those things that are laid against each other. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I write about very specific things to me. You know, I write about Ohio, and I write about Columbus, Ohio specifically, and I write about um, nostalgia in moments that I have lived that other people have not. And so I think that in doing that, I am already operating at a place where people are not, or by nature, not going to universally understand my work, right? And so I, I have to, uh, the challenge for me is to craft work that is, or can be understandable for, for people um, through language or through universal imagery or through narratives that, that are touchable. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, I mean, in, in most of my work, I'm working from a place of, um, you know, where, where people aren't, aren't going to be able to see themselves in it by nature. Because if you are not from Ohio or if you are not in Columbus in 1997 at a block party, you're not going to have an instant connection to my work. But then you bring us there. Yeah, that's the goal. I try. Yeah, yeah and we're not going to have the, the full-bodied experience of it that you have that you're writing out of, but we're still going to feel it, right? Right, that's the hope. Yeah, that's what I'm getting from it. Cool. So cool. Um, and you're performing tonight. I am. Uh, at 8 something? Yeah, at 8, eight At the, what's it called? You told me what it's called. The, the Cult. It's at the Cult, and you're going to be in the historic theater. That sounds cool. Yeah, I'm volunteering there tonight, so that's why I know. That's great. And uh, you're doing in Terabang. Yes, I'm not sure... Uh, I hope my work, fit. I read the description of it. I was like, I hope my work fits in. It's like very. Well, what you just said kind of answers a question. Yeah. How do I bring my experience of being in Columbus and those and my and my thoughts that like, what's that? How do I answer that question? How do I bring that out? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're reading with Richard Wagamese and Leah Horlick. Oh, cool. Those are the three performers, I believe, tonight. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. And. <laughs> and then also tonight um, at uh, versus at eleven o'clock is the launch of the brand new um, oratorialis. Yeah, I was going to think I couldn't think of the noun of it, like publication periodical. Yeah, oratorialis. It's a book launch. Yeah, so spoken word and experimental poetry uh, put together by Aaron Sims and Shane Avecki Grek in Victoria, and they are launching that at Space on Clark, which is where the Jingle and Shout was on Shallows. Sunday. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I think we, do we have time for one more small poem or yeah, do we have to do events? Or? One more, yeah. more poem. Uh, I need fear. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm usually more well, prepared. That's okay. While you're looking, we can just say, if you want to see about other things that are coming up at Versus Festival, you can go to versusfestival.ca. Uh, tonight is the showcase uh, that, um, Hanif is part of and then tomorrow night and Friday night are the Canadian individual poetry slam bouts that determine the 12 people so 12 or 10 that go into the finals that'll be at the Rio on Saturday night those bouts are at Havana and at Café du Soleil on Thursday and Friday night there's also some stuff on Saturday afternoon there's Word Circus there's Spoken Nerd at Stormcrow uh, in the afternoon, there are some more workshops and some talk to talks on Thursdays and Friday during the uh, during the day. One of them is about um, mental health, and I think the other one is about allyship. Allyship. So that, and then the versus festival ends with the chicken sessions on Sunday afternoon. So Hanif has a poem, and I will let you read it. <laughs> I'll read another poem from the the second manuscript, um, which is a lot of people haven't heard these, so this is cool. Um, this poem is called "The House Party, 10:30 p.m. Courtright in Livingston." Another storm is crawling its way from the west, a gray husk rattling the windows of any small town it passes through, scaring the deer from their spring drink and crowding the forest with the tremble of retreating hooves, the percussion of fear. Here, a mother has left a house to her boys, 
left the Friday night to its own unraveling. The walls stretched to capacity, the bedroom a father never returned to in winter, now a DJ booth. Bring only yourselves in whatever can be passed through the eye of a sewing needle. That which put its arms around the splayed denim of jeans an older brother outgrew and pressed the edges together, gifting them another year of life, another party where someone will pull a boy close by their belt loops while the DJ plays one more chance for what feels like the 25th time in a row, one for each dealer who didn't live long enough to arch the wood on a house's good floor like a spine thrown into the heat of dance. By now, everyone knows the chorus. Even the line of bodies outside the door, eager to get in, stretching down the street, past the graveyard where ten dudes got buried last Tuesday, the chorus jumping off of every living tongue from court right down to East Main, the lightning sneaking behind everyone's back to turn the sky blue, a brief and bright sweater pulled over the cool <laughs> night's stomach and the thunder that follows, an eager god begging the DJ to run it back one last time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Our guest today has been Hanif Willis Abdurraqib, and Hanif is performing this evening at the historic uh, Vancouver East Cultural Center, Victoria and Venables. Show is at 8 o'clock. I'm not sure what doors are. Tickets available at the door, though. And find out more at versusfestival.ca. Uh, where can people find you online if they want to or if you want them to? Yeah, please find me online. That's cool. Uh, my Twitter is... Oh, this is going to be hard to explain this on the radio, maybe. My Twitter is at Neef Muhammad. So it's at N-I-F-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. Um, I should get an easier Twitter handle. We can, uh, we'll can. we we'll do this on Co-op Radio's Twitter, Twitter which oh, is cool. Co-op Radio with no hyphen. So Coop Radio, and you can go. I'll tweet about it, and I'll make sure that I get it from you, and then they'll be able to cool. find uh, you. I tweet a lot about silly things, um, so sorry about that in advance. My website is my last name, so it's just abdurakib.com. Um, that's where like all my music and my music writing and poems are. Um, and That's A-B-D-U-R-R-A-Q-I-B. Q-I-B. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that is that, yeah. And button poetry, you're online. All your 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 uh, video. Yeah, stuff. I have I have videos of of myself. Although I don't know what's online. Uh, hopefully nothing embarrassing. But there are videos of me reading poems, definitely on on button poetry. Cool. Well, thank you very much for being our guest. Thank yeah, you for thank having you. me. Yeah, it was great. Thanks. All right, I'm uh, in filling in for R.C. Waslowski, and I am the R.C. Waslowski version of Pound Belly. And uh, no apologies necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what?